Hi everyone, welcome to the Stay Hungry podcast. I've got a really cool guest for you today. I'll let him introduce himself. Give me two secs. Mark, I'm excited for this one. Thanks for coming on the Stay Hungry podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Joel. So, the landlord coach, tell us tell us who you are and what you're about. <laughs> well, I was about broke about 15 years ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not just in money. I mean, that's the funny thing. Not just in money, but in time. And uh, I was not only, I, I, I'm a real estate guy, obviously, with a, with a moniker like landlord coach. It's kind of hard to think that, I'm, that I sell raisin, raisin packages of raisins. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, landlord coach, uh, it started really more out of a, a, a need for um, helping people become more aware of the, where they're spending their time. Sure. And really becoming more time wealthy. And it's not about time management because you really can't manage your time. It's about managing yourself and not focusing on income generation as much as life output. So um, obviously we need income to do that, but the, uh, but yeah, so a little bit about me back in, um, uh, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. After I got out of the Marine Corps, I decided I wanted to get an education because I thought, you know, the Marines were great to me, but I realized there probably had to be a better life. And uh, I was right. <laughs> so okay. I, I love the Marine Corps. I love my Marine brothers and sisters, but uh, but it was time for me to do something on my own. Sure. So I went to Purdue, got a degree in accounting and minored in finance, worked in the corporate world for a while. I fit in there like a square peg and uh, and decided that I got sick of healthcare and steady paychecks and to go out on my own and do my own thing. Okay. Okay. So that's touched on something we'll be talking about is in how to avoid creating a job for yourself and being a slave to your own business. So talk to me about um, your past in the Marine Corps. How, I guess that's probably set you up well for for future life. Yeah, it, it did in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, in some ways, it was a little bit of a hindrance okay. in that... Um, you know, the Marine Corps, you know, for, well, first of all, I was a celestial navigator. Okay. So, um, this is, these were the days when GPS was very, very new. Um, you know, now we're so spoiled with GPS being on every device that we have practically back then it was a very, very new technology. And, uh, we were still shooting if we, you know, if we, um, if we flew across, the uh, the oceans, you know, we we had inertial navigation systems, which were a little fairly un- unreliable at the time. Some of them were more reliable than others, but um, so we shot celestial lines of position with a sextant, just like Magellan. So it was yeah, it was kind of yeah. cool, yeah. But but that I will tell you though that it really made me very self sufficient and very independent because when you're up there and you're the only one that really knows where the airplane is you had to rely on yourself quite a bit. Sure. And while that might sound great as a business owner, it does set you up to be um, a little hesitant to reach out for help when you need it. And as a business owner, that can be, you know, that, that, that can just be a very, um, a very bad thing at times, sure. especially when you're doing things that are, that, that are not the highest and best use of your time. Sure. On that note, that's a great title for your fourth book, Celestial Navigator. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I'm working on a fourth book actually, which is <laughs> which is funny that you say that. But I'm, I'm, and I'm and I'm struggling for the title, so maybe maybe that's what it needs to be. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. So no, sorry, I digress. Okay, that's something I, I, I can be guilty of is uh, I try and take everything on my own shoulders. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm the director of a company, um, and actually, sometimes those tasks are better delegated or better outsourced. Talk talk to me about about that. Yeah, well, it, it's funny, you know. I I I coach people, you know, in all industries, which is which is funny because I had a few, but my last half dozen clients that came to me in the inner circle coaching and the mastermind, they were, they were like, Hey, you know, I've heard about your VIP method, the vision infrastructure process method in terms of how you help people set up businesses and all these different things. And within the business system, right, there's four core functions of every business. You know, you have to have a lead generation piece. You have to have a sales piece. You have to have the operational function. What does the business do? Right. And of course, then you have to have the, op- the, uh, the accounting function because let's face it, everybody has, become accustomed to being paid and you know in, in, as much as you want to get paid your vendors want to get paid too sure. right so all four of those functions and it's really funny because usually what happens is that the lead generation and the sales piece those kind of get lumped into one thing and they're not the same thing they're very different but they kind of get lumped into the lead generation and sales like oh it's sales and marketing so they kind of do that thing and then they try to, to do the operational function by themselves and then they completely ignore the accounting function and mm-hmm. say, well, if I have more money in my checking account this month than last month, I must be doing well, right? <laughs> um, and, and again, this is confession, not judgment. So if anybody out there is feeling like I'm picking on them, this is me picking on myself. Sure. I did the exact same thing. And yeah. I have a degree in accounting. So, oh, <laughs> right? no way. <laughs> so, so I, I promise you this is, not, this is not judgment. It's confession because I was doing the exact same thing. So usually what ends up happening is people will, they'll do the lead generation piece and sales piece kind of, you know, as much as they can, then they get busy operationally, they get stuck in the operation and then they ignore the accounting function almost, almost completely. Sure. So when, when you look at it from that perspective, then it's really easy to see, well, there's four different skill sets there. No wonder you're not doing any of them well. Because you're 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 spreading your your attention too thin in too many directions. Yeah, and the, I guess the temptation is always to do the thing you're good at or the thing you enjoy, and the things that, you know. Right. It's a, it's a rare person that enjoys numbers, but they are out there. And I mean, I used to be an accountant myself, so. But yeah, and did you take the twelve step program to get uh, I, out of that? I, I did a chartered accountancy back in the day. Um, but I left it for yeah. a reason. So That's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's a 12 step program to be, to be, to, to get yourself out of that mindset. Yeah. It's yeah. A, you know, yeah. yeah. My, no, my, I, my name I, is Joel I and I'm an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, hi, Joel. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell us about your, tell us about your balance sheet. Yeah. 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 yeah I can't get it to balance. I'm fed up of credit and debit. Help. Right. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I we see it in our business. Operations very often swallows up everything else, and then lead generation can go out the window. Accounts right. can go out the window. The vision goes right. out the window. So right. you approach a small business. Let's say they join your mastermind. How do you 
show them that that's not the way, even though they feel like perhaps they can't afford the time or the investment to, to fix it? Man, that's such a great question. And that is that is the question, right? Um, usually, if they're coming to me, it's because there's some pain in their life. Sure. And usually, in, in my own case, back when I was, you know, and, I, and I'm using air quotes here, master of the universe, right? I was back in 2006, 2007, I had built a $6 million real estate portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I had, uh, you know, I mean, I that I pieced together with a hodgepodge of wheeling and dealing and creative financing and everything else. And I was bringing in $65,000 a month in revenues. And by most people's measures of success, they're looking at me like I'm crushing it. Sure. You know, I'm, you know, I had the big house, the, the cars, the, the, all the, all the stuff, but, um, but I was completely time weary. And at one point I got completely time bankrupt. So back in 2008, because I was doing all the things, right? I was doing all the leasing and the showing and opening the mail and answering the phone and everything. I did literally every operational function that there was out there. And um, then 2008 came along and my $65,000 a month turned into $30,000 a month, month over month. And my overhead was way more than that. And there was just no way that I could have weathered that storm. So my... Um, so I started working more. I mean, I couldn't hire anybody to do anything. I mean, even the even the cleaners and painters and stuff like that. So I just started doing it myself because I couldn't afford to pay anybody. And um, working 18, 19, sometimes 20 plus hour days, well, that catches up with you. And, and as much as I thought I was tough and invulnerable to all of that stuff, I ended up getting sick and I wound up with double pneumonia and spent three days in the hospital where I almost died. Because I literally almost worked myself to death. So that's an important point that I don't think many podcasts, business coaches discuss is the the consequences of overworking the consequences of being tied to your business um i know myself i've gone through anxiety depression insomnia how how do you get that because i'm sure you'll meet business owners who are so hungry and so ambitious how do you explain to that business owner that that young and enthusiastic business owner that it's not the right way that just because you've got the drive to outwork everybody doesn't mean you should yeah and that and that's it's not a conversation that everybody wants to hear i mean i know if you told my 28 and 29 year old version of me that same thing there's no way i would have heard it Mm -hmm. um the the fact that they're listening to this podcast this far means they're either like ready to change it right? yeah. and listen to the next episode or they're actually leaning in going, holy crap, this is me. And where, you know, and, and this has become such a passion for me because I believe that this is my purpose because I really do believe that there's, there's great business owners out there really trying to change their world and they've got a great product. They got a great service, but yet their marriage is a disaster Mm-hmm. They've got, they've missed, they've yet, they've missed yet another baseball game. They've missed yet another life event. They've missed, you know, another, well, we'll take a vacation next year, right? Because they're working for the most unreasonable boss there is. Themselves, and yeah. that boss is a maniac, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. It's, and, and the boss will never let them have time off, never let them not, not answer their phone. And that boss is them. That boss was me. So I feel that... You know, and there's some people, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm 
I'm, I'll work, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, I mean, I knew all the cliches, but it was really, it it wasn't until I was laying flat on my back in the hospital, you know, and, and the hospitalist came in and she looked at me and I was in very good physical shape. Like, I mean, I was in, you know, I was young and vibrant. I was 37, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 37 at the time and laying in the hospital. So the hospitalist had said, um, you know, people who sit, you know, look like you don't, um, you know, don't lay in hospital beds like this. And it was really interesting because at that time, um, I really had to sit and think about what really, what was going on in my world. Yeah. And, you know, working these 18, you know, 20 hour days, um, catching naps at the Lowe's parking lot or, you know, grabbing 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, not eating well, you know, eating, eating very poorly, you know, on the run. Um, it was not a lifestyle that I wanted. I'm sitting there thinking as I'm laying in this bed and that's really where I came up with the VIP method. And I can't say it's like, you know, it was written in doves, you know, VIP, you know, as they're flying across the sky, you know, it didn't come to me like that. A celestial but, navigation uh, vision. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But it was really interesting because at that time I'm laying in the bed and the one nurse comes in and she's a young, young nurse and she, looks at me and she says she's holding the needle and I'm not a needle guy. And she looks at me, she says, I need to give you a shot in your stomach. And I said, you need to work on your marketing because <laughs> no, you're not, <laughs> your sales pitch is terrible. So she, uh, she says, well, you're going to be laying in the bed for the next couple of days. And we need to give you some, I think it was Coumadin. So you don't get blood clots in your legs. And I looked at her and I looked at the, at the machine they had me hooked up to. And I said, well, this machine I'm, that I'm hooked up to has, is on wheels. She said, yeah. I said, well, I can get out of bed and I can walk around, right? She looked at me like I was ex- asking her to explain Michael Jackson. And she says, well, yeah. I said, okay, I'll get up and walk around every, every, you know, every little bit. I'm not going to be able to lay in this bed for three days anyway. So she took her needle and she went away. After a little bit of time, another nurse came in with another needle and she said, you know, I got to give you a shot. <laughs> I was like, no, you're not. I said, what, what's this shot for? And she says, well, the, 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 whatever, um, that you're on, the steroid that you're on messes with your blood sugar. And she said, so, you know, we got to give you this to regulate your blood sugar. Yada, yada. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I won't eat any sugar and I won't eat any carbs today. If it's still too high tomorrow morning, then you can give me the shot. How about that? You can give me the insulin. She says, okay. So she takes her needle and she went away. That episode right there made me realize that these nurses were operating off of a, off of a system, off of some checklist, some system, something that made them, you know, recognize that something needed to be given, something needed to be administered when a certain situation happened. And that's when I started thinking, you know what, there's something to be thought about here in terms of all these different things. This is, you know, for... For those of you who might be thinking, well, where's he going with this? That's when I recognized that everything that was going on in my world, I could easily put into three different buckets. Well, first of all, everything was in my head. Everything was in my head and everything was reactionary. Everything that I reacted to was who was yelling the loudest. So I really had no process for anything beyond me just answering the phone and reacting. So even though people were telling me, you know, hey, you know, you really need, you know, need help. Well, everything was in my head, so it wouldn't have made any difference. So I I really lacked processes. I really lacked a consistent way to do anything. 
The other bucket that it fell into was infrastructure. So even if I had help, you know, even if I had an office, you know, it wasn't going to, I didn't have any, any sort of infrastructure for them to work on. I didn't have desks and chairs and a computer or a, a phone system that didn't look like my cell phone, right? <clears throat> I didn't have anything like that. So the interesting thing was, you know, what was I going to do? Hire somebody, you know, push them into a room and yell, do work and then run away. Like that wasn't going to save anything for me. That wasn't going to change anything for me. So even though I had no processes and, and consistent way to do things, I also didn't have any infrastructure for that process to run on. And finally, the fr- what I realized is, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm not a Rhodes Scholar by any stretch, but I mean, I'm not an idiot. I mean, I could probably do anything and make money. Why was I doing this? And I realized that I really lacked a vision for what I was trying to accomplish it all for in the first place. Why was I getting out of bed? What was this all for? And it really is has nothing to do with my business. I mean, I, I could have made money doing anything. What was the vision? What was I getting out of bed for? To, what was my purpose? And so that's how, when I wrote the Time Wealthy Investor 2.0, that's how I laid it out in terms of vision, infrastructure, and process. So when you have a vision for what it is you're trying to do, whether that's laying on the beach, rubbing cocoa butter on your belly for you know two months out of the year on a beach in Spain, that's awesome. That's great. Good vision, right? Not necessarily a good visual, but a good <laughs> vision, right? But if you have a, um, if you have a vision, if you have an infrastructure, if you're setting up an infrastructure that's not in alignment with that vision, you know, let's say you set up an infrastructure that's going to require you to return emails and phone calls in a timely manner. That's going to be a terrible experience for you when you're trying to lay on the beach rubbing cocoa butter on your belly, right? No one wants to work from the beach. So unless you're, you know, selling surfboards, right? Like that's not, that's not fun. So when you then when you put your processes together, your processes should again those are the tactical stuff. That's the tactical stuff that you might enjoy doing, or you know, however you want to set up your business. But you set up those processes that runs on an infrastructure that you created that also stays in alignment with your vision for the future. Amazing, that's cool. So, do you mind me asking what your at that point what your vision was? Well, it's pretty simple because a lot of people in my opinion, and me included, I think they overthink their vision. Mm-hmm. I think they think their vision has to be something grandiose. Like, you know, I want, you know, a, a, a beach house in five different countries that I can't pronounce in a Bugatti in every, in every driveway, right? That vision for me at, at that moment in time was to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally survive. Like I need to get out of the hospital and I need to get healthy. That was my vision. And I, th- the way that I view vision, and even though if you, if you think of a V, right? I think we have near closely held visions and visions that are further out. Sure. And if you think about it, like when we're, when we're children, you, know, you might have a vision of riding a bicycle, but when you're a child, you, you don't even know how to walk yet, but you want to learn to ride a bicycle. So that riding a bicycle is a, is a vision that's further out. It's the top of the V, if you will. And then the narrower part of your vision is the one that's closer to the bottom of the V. That's the clue. That's the things that you want to get next. That's the things. Mm-hmm. So you know, you might be a kid that's crawling around and you want to learn how to stand. You want to learn how to step and you want to be able to learn how to walk. So, you know, once that becomes part of your vision, it becomes part of your, it it folds into your part of who you are. And then the rest of it just slides down. It slides down into the other part of the V. So now you can learn how to run. Now you can learn how to, you know, you know, whatever. So it, it all basically keeps sliding down. And that is for me, that's why I like 
I like having a, a, a stretch, you know, part of larger vision that scares me a little bit. But the, the more closely held vision, those pieces of the, the, the vision, I can, you know, you work on it like a Sudoku puzzle. You work on the piece that you can get at that moment in time. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I think uh, when I did my own vision plan, I've got short, short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals. And right. you can't get the mid-term ones without the short-term ones, and you can't get the long-term ones without the mid-term ones. But I've got friends of mine and people on the outside who only see you achieve the big ones so they don't see the struggle they don't see the journey and obviously what you're describing is helping people with the journey and yeah so yeah and and just and just that point because you know you brought up my navigation days and this is where it's really interesting because i go back to that well when you fly or you know whether you boat or whatever you travel along waypoints yeah right but your 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 vision is like the destination that you're trying to get to so that's the thing the goal is just a waypoint. You know, if you and I are going to travel from Detroit, Michigan to Key West, Florida, you know, we are going to have waypoints along the way, which might be Indianapolis and Chattanooga and Atlanta, right? Those are all waypoints. We're not like, it's not like, yay, I'm in Chattanooga, said no one ever, right? It's it's like, hey, cool, we're in Chattanooga. This means that we're that much closer. But, you know, which you can celebrate your goals, absolutely. But the goals are just the waypoints along the way to your vision, to mm-hmm. the next piece of your vision. But the reason why that's important is because it, let's say that you and I are halfway between Indianapolis and Chattanooga and you go, you know, what would be really cool. Let's go. I know this. I had this buddy that I knew in third grade who lives in St. Louis. Let's go hang out with him for, you know, a couple of days because he was so funny. Like, and I'm like, dude, are you kidding me right now? This is literally going to take us 90 degrees out of our way. Not even 90 degrees. We're going to backtrack a little bit. Go to St. Louis for what? right? This is the chasing of the shiny objects that we have. And it's like, wait a minute. So are we not wanting to sit on the beach in, in Florida and Key West watching, you know, the sunset festival and, you know, having some margaritas with our feet in the sand? Is that what you're saying is not important anymore? And then you're like, yeah, no, he wasn't that much fun. <laughs> right? So that's why it's really important to have these vis- this vision really, really well-defined so when you when you are tempted to chase these shiny objects, which every entrepreneur can relate to, you're not going to engage in that self-sabotage by allowing yourself to be distracted, and you're not going to allow yourself to be engaging in self-sabotage by taking on too many things, by chasing too many rabbits. And I do call it what it is. It's self-sabotage because there's some un, un, you know deep-seated something. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid to fail. So I'm just going to allow myself to get distracted. And that way I've got built-in excuses. All of these self-limiting beliefs that come up with self-sabotaging behaviors, that is why it's really important to have a vision that you not only really believe in, that you really, really want, but it's also well-defined. Sure. Self-limiting beliefs, that's a big one. Um, so I guess... All entrepreneurs have them. It's, you know, everybody gets a bit of imposter syndrome from time to time. (laughs) Yeah, guilty. (laughs) Yeah, every day. But if you're not pushing hard enough, if you're not not getting imposter syndrome, I think. Um, I'd rather, I'd certainly rather feel like that than feel tired, overworked. Um, How do you talk to people about their self-limiting beliefs? Because... I think the first time someone mentioned it to me, I didn't realize I had them. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I, 
I've been studying this a very, I've been studying this a lot because I was getting a lot of people who were very similar to me and, and it was hard. It was a little hard as a coach to say, Oh, ouch, you know, like, you know, even my own coach, because I believe everybody should have a coach. And if, if you are coachable, you should have a coach. If you're not coachable, if you're not willing to be humble, if you're not willing to accept feedback and truly accept it, not go, yep, I'm accepting it through gritted teeth. Sometimes it, it can be tough. I will say this though, that when I was pointed out that I had some limiting beliefs around success, around money, around all the things, all the things that, you know, oh, I could never charge that much for my product. I could never, you know, I mean, that's all limiting beliefs. And here's the interesting thing. As I've studied this, whether through you know, neuro-linguistic programming and neuroscience and all these things around, around limiting beliefs, and I really have studied, I really have gone deep on this, I've noticed that limiting beliefs, they're just beliefs. They don't introduce themselves to you as like, hi, h- hello, Joel, I'll be your limiting belief for, for to the rest of today's journey. Like It doesn't work like that. What, the way it does is it works very subtly in the way that you make decisions and it's just a belief that's trying to protect you. Your, your belief system is just trying to protect you. And, and it's trying to protect you from a past pain. So if you, are, if you had an event that um, – if you had an event in your life that you're perceiving to be a failure, that's the thing. You have to perceive it to be a failure. So in other words, let's say every guy can relate to this. I mean, except unless you're Tom Brady, but you know, um, if, you know, every guy has had that limiting belief, like, oh, you know, if you, if I ask out a pretty girl or a girl who is a 10 and she turns me down, therefore, and she, therefore I've now established that, you know what, I I cannot ask out pretty girls because they're always going to turn me down or I'm going to be nervous around pretty women, right? Every, I mean, I'm going to say this, paint this with a broad brush. A lot of guy, every guy can at least relate to that. Sure. Okay. So therefore now you have a limiting belief, which is like, well, I'm not going to ask, ask out pretty girls because the, the, the 10 that I wanted turned me down. Right. Um, maybe females have a limiting belief that, you know, women are not allowed to ask out men. There's a lot of women like that, even though they might believe in their heart. No, I'm a, I'm an empowered woman. I can ask, but they still may have that belief that, that women are not to ask out men, right. Or whatever. I'm just painting this with a broad brush. But what I'm saying is these are how these limiting beliefs get established because they are trying to protect us. And I've noticed that in my own case and in my own coaching, that when any there's a couple of dead giveaways that there's some limiting beliefs attached, like you know it's like whoop whoop limiting belief ahead, right? But absolute language, when you're using absolute language like well anytime or every time I do or whenever I right, <clears throat> it's it's that absolute language when you're attaching that to any anything that you're about to say, it's almost a dead giveaway that there's a limiting belief attached to that. And that is really easy to see with others, not so easy to see within yourself. Sure. Right. So that's like um, um, black and white thinking. It's, it, you've it, never. It, it, right. There's a dichotomy. Like it's either, yeah. it's either this or that. Like it, it's that absolute language. Sure. Um, and that's a pretty easy one. But another one is, is canceling language. And this is one that I hear all the time in my coaching. I'm like, well, you know, have you tried, you know, this? Well, yeah, but, and then whatever the 
It's the yeah, but, or yeah, however, you know, whatever it is, it's canceling anything out. And that canceling language is another dead giveaway that there's some sort of limiting belief that's attached to that. And again, the limiting belief is just trying to protect you. It's just a belief. But the thing is, beliefs, the really amazing thing is beliefs are not truths. It's just you believe them to be true. So, you know, everybody knows the the whole thing about, you know, breaking the four-minute mile. And then all of a sudden, the four-minute mile was, net, was, was broken and then three more people did it. Right. It, it, it's, it's, it's a limiting belief because we believe it to be true. So, um, these are the sorts of things that I, that I work through all the time. And the thing is with that limiting belief also comes like, again, so you're not worthy of success because your parents told you that it was bad to be rich. So now I'm going to engage in self-sabotaging behavior and that self-sabotaging behavior comes up in all sorts of ways. You know, it comes up in terms of procrastination. It comes up in terms of hiding, hiding in activity, right? Where I'm so busy, I can't work on the really important things. I'm just working on the things that's in front of me. Or, or hiding in inactivity, where there's so many things, you don't know what to start on first, right? All sorts of things like that in terms of self, self-limiting beliefs and, of course, self-sabotaging behavior. Sure. And even Tom Brady has a coach. I don't think he's got a dating coach, though. <laughs> he might do. Maybe. He, who knows? Yeah, he might Maybe somebody will call me and ask me for some advice. Yeah. My, my pricing will go up substantially, though. I'm just going to let you know, Tom. If, but, if you are listening to this, Tom, you know, I'll give you the special, I'll give you the special <laughs> NFL raid. It's something we say to our team, though, is, you know, Muhammad Ali, he has a coach. Usain Bolt, he has a coach. It's not it, just because you're at the top of your game doesn't mean you can't be better doesn't mean you can't control your emotions better doesn't mean you um can't find a way to sustain it better so that there's i think particularly in the uk i don't know about in in the states some people see it as a failure if they need to ask for help uh and that was a self-limiting belief in itself actually um where the most successful entrepreneurs that I know are always asking for help. Always. And, and, and they do it humbly hu- with humility. Yeah. They don't need to tell. Uh, and, and one of the things that I would, another, another self-destructive behavior, which I, was, I still have to be careful about, is proving. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I have to prove that I belong. So I would often, when I would ask for help, I would almost like, look, let me, let me give you a bunch of irrelevant information so I can let you know that I'm not, I don't, so, so you know that I'm not an idiot, Yeah. but you know, like, let me tell you a bunch of stuff that I know. And then let me ask you a question. And it's like, stop. <laughs> that's not, that, that's exactly the opposite that, that prove that proving thing that you're doing is really the opposite. Like, well, did you call for my help or did you not call for my help? So <clears throat> when you can really be humble and, and be vulnerable, what's the worst that's going to happen? Okay, so they're going to think badly about me for asking a, an idiotic question. Okay, what's it going to change? They're probably not going to remember my name the next day then. Who cares? So that's the, you know, asking those questions and then, you know, and modeling the behavior of people who you, who you do trust, who you do want to be like. And I would really be careful about who you pick. Because there's a lot of people out there that, um, especially the the influencers that are the the internet influencers, you know, I don't 
I, I may respect what they've accomplished, but I don't respect who they are because of like, you know, trust me, I'm a Marine. I, you know, I, I know how to swear, but I don't, I don't want to have a loose tongue and, and worry about isolating somebody that really might need to hear my message. Right. If I'm in a bar, then yeah, obviously maybe the gloves will come off and I can work in my craft, but it's not, but that's not the, even then, you know, I want to be a class act. I want to be known as people that I can help and I don't want to isolate people, you know, in terms of, in terms of that, but that, that the, the interesting thing about the, um, you know, like what you said with, with people asking for help is that it, they're not willing to be vulnerable to ask for that help, which only starts even further down this spiral of, well, that I don't need a CPA. I don't need someone to tell, you know, in terms of accountancy, I don't need anybody to do that because I can be able to do it. Right. Well, that's where you need to start valuing your time. You need to start put, placing a value on your time. And even if you could hire a bookkeeper, you know, for, you know, $20 US or whatever, I mean, if you were going to, if you're going to hire them for $20 an hour and your billing rate, you're making $75 an hour at your job, you doing that $20 an hour job is costing you the difference between the two. It's costing you $55 an hour or whatever, because you're, I mean, that opportunity cost, you're never getting that time back to be able to do that. That's why I don't like going to the, I mean, I will if I have to, but I don't like going to the post office. I don't like mowing my own lawn. I don't like, you know, I love to cook, so I don't mind cooking, but you know, for these things that for people where they're doing all this minimum wage activity, you're never going to be wealthy if you're if you're doing minimum wage activity. I don't care how many jobs you have, you, you're never gonna you're never gonna break through. You've touched on something a raw nerve. Um, so, so uh, I I come from a, a modest background um, and had some of my self limiting beliefs. But last year, my, my wife and I decided to get a cleaner because she has a successful career. I'd like to think I'd like to think I have a successful career. And neither of us like cleaning. So we got a cleaner. The cleaner comes, you know, three hours a week. The house is way cleaner than I could ever get it. And US terms, maybe $100 spend or something. Right, right. My family, some of my friends cannot get their heads around that decision. It will never, ever compute to them that I haven't elevated myself or got above my station they they who the hell do you think you are where i know as as a business owner that my time is well in this case actually my time is much better spent with my wife that's that's why that's why we did it absolutely yep yes how do you crack that for people because there'll be so many people who they i mean i'm lucky now i know lots of entrepreneurs but I, i didn't the, the, the successful people out there whose friendship groups and family group don't understand why they're trying to do what they're doing. Yeah. And that's, well, there, there, you, you have to do, you have to do that to a point, you know, um, you you, if you're really wanting to think about the people who are, who are wealthy, they're not spending time mowing their own lawns and tending to their own gardens, unless that's something that that's a, that's a labor of love for them. If that's part of what, if that's part of their vision, then absolutely, you know, then I'm not saying to stop that, but if you're doing it because you're saving money, you're, you're never, I mean, you're never getting your time back. Money replenishes time does not. Mm -hmm. So at one point in time I had a driver 
And where I live in Lafayette, Indiana to Indianapolis is a little, depending on where you're going in Indy, um, it's a little over an hour. And um, I had a driver and I didn't, you know, it wasn't because I was trying to be, you know, super self-important is because that three hours of windshield time was so unproductive for me that, you know, driving there and driving back, it, it made no sense for me. And, and I had a, I had a weekly meeting that I belonged to. Uh, maybe your, your folks are familiar with BNI. Sure. Yeah. So I was in BNI for 14 years and, um, recently just stepped away. I was, you know, d- did a lot with BNI. I mean, I, I was in the directors and among them and, um, you know, it, but it was a fantastic organization, especially for a small business. And, and at the time, you know, that three hours of windshield time that I was going, you know, an hour and a half down an hour and a half back was so unproductive that I thought this is craziness. And the, you know, the hundred bucks or whatever it was, I paid the guy wasn't very much that, you know, to make that trip back and back and forth for me, I made three to four times that being in, in productivity. Yeah. But it, so I, I think you really have to get your head around, you know, what is your time really worth? You know, whether they're in real estate or whether in, you know, like I said, selling boxes of raisins, whatever it is that they're that they're doing, you have to get your you have to get your your, your mind around that. Now, now, of course, this is of course if you're already making money. If you're not making money, then of course you eliminate those things and cut out the things that that have become you know, become almost like a luxury, yeah. but yeah, but that's exactly the mindset you have to get in is what is it, you know, look at that opportunity cost of what you could have made during that time, not what you can save. Sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll say that to my family next time I see them. Come <laughs> give me a call. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you mind calling Mark? Yeah. So um, what are the signs that you're slipping back into a job? How, do, how would you identify that you're going in the wrong direction? Man, that's such a great question. Um, so most of the time when I see people that are stuck, they're stuck. Again, I kind of labeled out, you know, if you've got the VIP method, you know, within the infrastructure and process portion, that's the system. The vision, again, that vision is yours and yours alone. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing things that are not taking you closer to your vision, right? Like, right, I'll be a perfect example. You know, I had we have an opportunity just recently where my bride, you know, she worked, she works at a bank now and she doesn't really want to work at the bank, but it was just, it was good for us. You know, she needed something to do and she needed just something to do that was not mine, right? Mm -hmm. She needed something to do of her own. So, you know, she, she's working at the bank. Well, recently, you know, God laid at our feet. Hey, we're, you know, we have this opportunity where she gets to come and she can leave the bank and she can start her own thing. And it's just that the timing has just worked out really, really well. So well, the events that led up to that was really hard for us not to be salty about how it all came about, but we're like, wait a minute, hold on. This is exactly what we want, right? So when you stay vision focused, it's really easy when you can look at it that way. And you can start monitoring your own behavior in a much more intentional way. It, you know, the vision vision is your main circuit breaker. That's, that's the lens that you should be looking through for all your activities. Yeah. So that's the first and foremost. But the second is, you know, are you, are you feeling like you're stuck? Like just because you're doing something routine though, doesn't mean that you're stuck. It means that you, this is the routine that you're in to get you to your vision and routines define who we are. But 
if you're if you're feeling like you're getting stuck, if you're going to get stuck, you're almost always going to get stuck in the operation. That's where everybody gets stuck. It seems like that's if you're going to stick, if you're going to get stuck anywhere, it's going to get stuck in the operation. If you're going to ignore something, it's the accounting. That's what happens, right? But I think the 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 great way to to realize that is to look at your feedback, look at the results you're getting, and if you're not getting the results you want, then you only have one thing to look at, and that's your behavior. That's your input. If you're not, and that's really, that's liberating, right? Because you only have one thing to look at. Okay, what am I doing? Then let me take ownership of what I'm doing. And that's a really great way to see, well, you know what? Well, my vision isn't really well defined. So how do I know if I'm off, off course? Well, that's why you need to sit down and really hammer out really what is it that you do want, which ironically enough, everyone says, oh, my vision is good. And then I start poking holes in it and they're like, yeah, okay, my vision's not that good. (laughs) Um, But, but have someone challenge you on your, on your vision, have a coach that will challenge you on your vision at times and and poke at it and prod at it and make sure that if you can defend it, then you'd say, okay, yeah, I really feel pretty good about this. And then, then you constantly revisit it. And if you're, if you're spending too many days doing things that are not taking you closer to your vision, that's a really good indicator that you're, uh, that you're, that you're stuck somewhere in your, in a job. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. I think uh, I think everybody can relate to that. You, you find yourself doing things like really starting to notice what your competitors are doing and starting to compare your performance with your staff's performance instead of comparing yourself against your peers. And it can it can really start to go wrong when you get into that mindset. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, very very true. Comparison all it does is just steal from you. It just steals your joy. It steals your happiness. It steals everything. But yeah. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned influencers before, and uh, I mean, we work with some influencers, so I have to be careful what what, <laughs> what I say. But I think uh, you should be very careful with comparing yourself with what you see on the surface, because an influencer's job is to make the surface look great, and what what they're doing underneath the service if you th- if you think underneath the surface what if you think um creating a job for yourself and being a slave to your business is bad you should see what it's like to be an influencer because <laughs> they are absolute <laughs> slaves to what they do there is you know hiring a lamborghini and standing outside a mansion and then making it look like it's really yours isn't easy it's it, well all of that plus i mean you are it is just constant on social media. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't live a lifestyle that would be, you know, I think a lot of people would envy me if they knew actually how much free time that I have mm-hmm. or how much control over my calendar that I have. Let me just say it that way. Sure. Because I could take it to go kayaking and I could take it. And right now I'm using a lot of my free time to expand my coaching business, but I'm also writing a, writing a fourth book because this book is really the, although the time wealthy investor 2.0 was really meant for more people, more people who are in the rental operational side of the business. I've had so many different people in so many different industries read that book and they came back to me and I knew them. I I knew who they were. And I said, why did you read that book? You're, you're a graphic designer. Why did you read? Did you have, you have interest in real estate? They said, absolutely not. None. I said, but what you taught in this book is so appropriate to my to to setting up a business i read everything and she's like if nothing else it made me realize i do not want to be in real estate but it also made me realize that you know i need to put together infrastructure and process just like you did so my my vision you know uh, that which has really definitely become more and more 
clear to me is to write a, a book that is a little bit more, you know, less real estate specific, but more specific towards the, the small business owner and operator and trying to help free them uh, from, you know, from the, the chains that they've built for themselves, the little sure. chains that they built for themselves. So those, those business owners that you, you speak to, that you work with, how do you, how do they make sure other people buy into their vision? Generally by including them in it. So if it's somebody that's really important, you know, um, in the early days when I was coaching, I did not, I, I didn't, in, um, I don't want to say this. I didn't exclude the spouses. I just didn't make sure that I was intentionally including them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that was incorrect. I think that if you have a significant other in your, in your life, whether that's, you know, a life partner or business partner or whatever, that if you if you start getting into this vision piece and you know, your belief systems are going to start to be altered and all of a sudden you're acting in a way that is counter to what they're used to, they're going to be like, man, where are you coming up with all this stuff? It, well, it's because of conversation and coaching that they're getting from me. So it would be really important to have them as have them together as one conversation. So I started doing that. I started doing that a while ago when I recognized that there was, that there was, you know, even families are like, yeah, my, my husband was asking, wondering, you know, what we're talking about all the time. Cause I'm starting to do all these different things in the business. I'm like, let's bring him up. Let's bring him in in the conversation. And that was when I realized that if you're going to start to adjust some one person's vision, you know, you're going to have a life partner. That's going to be, it's going to be important that they're part of that decision, but they're still an individual. They are still their own person. And it's not wrong. Like my, my bride is a very girly girl. Like she's, you know, the hair, the nails, like she loves all that stuff. She loves fashion. Like she, that's, that's her thing. Um, I literally wear the same clothes every day with the exception of, you know, the, the, the criticals, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I wear and it's because it's so easy for me, you know, I, I change my socks, my underwear and my t-shirt, but everything else is pretty much, you know, it's the same thing. Not that it's not fashionable, but it's very functional and I don't have to think about much. Um, and for her, that would be like the worst thing ever sure. you know, to have to wear an outfit twice in a row. But that's okay because she's going to have her own vision. She's going to have her own thing, her own interests. She's going to have her own direction that she wants to head in. That's not going to be mine. But that doesn't mean like, well, you know, does that mean that she's going off in her own direction? No, because we have a we have a collective vision together about where we want to be as a family and as a couple and as, you know, as a, as a life partner. Um, so it's important that the individual, what I would recommend, and this is stuff that I work with, but I mean, you can do this on your own, but if you, if you go through each person should go through their own vision individually. And then after the vision is all put, you know, they've got their, their vision, their personal vision kind of nailed down, or at least a rudimentary understanding of it. That's when you come together as a couple and say, Hey, these are some things that I really want in my vision. You know, let's compare to what you have, but don't put, don't put things in your vision just because that's what you think that your partner is going to want, you know, because you know, if your spouse is, you know, has a real interest in dolphins and you do not care about dolphins, you're like, Oh, well, I'm going to go and swim with dolphins. You're like, that's not your vision. Come on, man. That's, you know, don't put that, don't put that in there because then you're being inauthentic and, um, but, but, you know, you could do something that's collaborative, um, but do that as a couple, but be authentic, be a little selfish. I say that a little selfish because, 
it's all right that you live your purpose and you live your vision and you live your your dream because you can still do that as a couple. You can still make you can still make that work. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think uh, you talked about the V. I think if you if you both wrote down your V and then crossed them over, there would be overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know with I know with my wife that's very much the case that that we've got some things where there's a lot of overlap particularly to do with family and property and holidays and vacations. Um, but then we have our own things too. And that's, that's the strength of our relationship, but it's also really important that she can buy into what I'm trying to do. Otherwise I go home and it would be really deflating. So yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't be your own person at all. You have to be someone different around, around your gal or your guy, yeah. you know, and that's not, that's not okay. You need to be, you need to be who you are. And that's probably why they love you. You know, that's probably why they care about you because, you know, they're not, they're not looking for something different. They're, they they just want more of what you are, but they probably want more of you and they want more of you around. Sure. So that was the, that was the one of the biggest mistakes that I was made. Well, like, you know, when I'm working my tail off, I'm like, man, I'm doing this for us. I'm like, we just want more of you. We just want more of you around. Yeah. So if but, if it meant we lived a lesser lifestyle to have more of you around, then you know that was that was a little sobering to hear. Yeah, your your wealth is judged by how much freedom you have, not by how much money is in the bank. If you can't spend that money, what's the point? That was Mark Dolfini, the landlord coach, an amazing guest from America, and hence why we were having a few connection problems. But do read his books. Particularly, I really enjoyed uh, The Judge, A Landlord's Tale and uh, The Time Wealthy Investor 2.0. Give, give those a read. If you need to reach out to Mark, he's at landlord underscore coach on Instagram uh, and you'll find him on, on LinkedIn as well. Mark, thank you so much for being an awesome guest. Great to chat. I'll catch you again.